everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined as always by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Wearing my Pittsburgh Steelers sad colors. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's too bad. Yeah. Yes. Well, this is not a football podcast. This is a movie podcast, and we've got lots of movie-related topics to cover. We'll uh, we'll talk about the box office. We will uh, talk a little bit about Encanto, the music from Encanto, and uh, get into a little bit of uh, talk about the music in Disney animated pictures. Uh, we will discuss why futuristic movies always have a dystopian worldview. And, of course, our watch list. Are you ready to get started? I am. All right. Well, we will start with the box office results from last week. And, lo and behold, the king is dead. Hmm. After a five-week run at number one in the box office, there is a new leader. And it is Scream. That's right. Scream has been the movie to dethrone Spider-Man. 30.1 million on its opening weekend for Scream. Spider-Man down to 20.1 million. But don't feel bad for Spider-Man. It's still made 668 million so far domestically. It'll be all right. Sing 2 came in at number three with 8 million. Uh, the 355 at 2.3 million, and the King's Man it, with its uh, its usual 2.2 million, where it's been for like five weeks now. Uh, Rob, what do you make of the new leader? Uh, not surprising. Like I said last week, it seems that legacy horror movies, if they're done well, tend to be like money making machines, and Scream is no different. And I'm not surprised. Um, when I went and saw it, it was a pretty full movie theater. I saw it on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and the theater was probably like 95% full. So I'm not surprised. I think a lot of people went out to see it uh, when it opened. It has been a little while since one came out. And I think people were interested in what they were going to do with it and where they were going to go um, with the movie. If they were going to follow the same formulas the previous movies uh what they would do to different differentiate it and i'll talk more about it later but i do think it was a quality movie and not surprised that it made the amount of money it did yeah yeah i'm also not surprised i mean you can basically take horror movies to the bank i mean you pretty much i mean they're not going to kill the box office at the box office but they're always going to be dependable and steady you know, you can always rely on a horror movie to generate uh, a decent amount of revenue and make a profit. So they're they're going to absolutely continue uh, piping out horror movies. And like you said, legacy horror movies do especially well. Um, so I am also not surprised. Plus, there hadn't been a really another draw movie that's come out in a while. Uh, so that also is a factor. Um, if you've seen the main stuff that's been out in the theaters, you were probably waiting a couple weeks uh, to get a new one in. Uh, so Scream, taking the, taking the cake. Like I said earlier, it's, it's kind of interesting that the King's Man has never had a great weekend, but it's kind of done the same thing every weekend it's mm. been out, which is, yeah. really, which is really kind of, really kind of interesting. 
um, I don't know what to make of that, but um, yeah, uh, we can see uh, the total revenue in the box office obviously is not as high as it's been uh, previous weeks, but that makes sense because it's been a while since we've had uh, had some new releases, especially multiple new releases. You got that uh, dump right at Christmas and then you've had nothing really since then. Uh, so it's uh, it was about time we got a new movie out and Scream takes the cake. Um, did I? Yeah, I went through all of the, uh, I went through all of them. Uh, any other, any other thoughts on box office results? Uh, not really, other than to say, keep going, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's continuing to carry on. All right, well, we have, uh, two main releases coming out this week, and, uh, the first one is Redeeming Love, and this is the, um, uh, a story of a girl who was sold into prostitution as a child. Uh, and her name is Angel. And she knows nothing but betrayal. Can her heart ever be mended? Can it, Rob? Can her heart be mended? I don't know. I guess we'll have to watch and find out. <laughs> yeah. And this is based on the novel by Francine Rivers. Uh, so that's Redeeming Love. Uh, the other movie that's coming out is The King's Daughter. King Louis XIV's quest for immortality leads him to capture and steal a mermaid's life force, a move that is further complicated by his illegitimate daughter's discovery of the creature. Hmm. <laughs> All right, Rob. <laughs> gun to your head, man. Which one are you going to see? Uh, even with a gun to my head, I might say neither. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are still a couple other movies in the theater that I still want to go check out. So I might go do that and not watch those. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is interesting. Yeah, this is uh, not my particular cup of tea when it comes to when it comes to films coming out this weekend. Um yeah, the whole uh, King Louis stealing a mermaid's life force um, is quite the uh, is quite the plot turn right there. Um, why are all French kings named Louis? Is that? I don't know. I don't know. Like, don't you want to change it up a little bit? I mean, <laughs> we at least have like a Louis in there, maybe. Or yeah, Louise. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of French <laughs> names. I mean. Maybe, maybe use another one or two, whatever. Yeah. So not a, not a ton in the box office coming out. It is, there are two movies. They are going to be in theaters this week. Uh, and maybe one of them speaks to you. And, and this is what you, what you want to do. I, I would say, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, stealing a mermaid's life force probably just is, is too much for me. So if I had to go see one, I'd probably end up seeing redeeming love, but I don't know. Yeah, they can't all be winners every week. They can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I do not expect that these either one of these movies will do supremely well. I think you're going to see figures in under $10 million for both of them. Uh, but we'll see. You never know. Maybe uh, Francine Rivers has a big following that uh, I am heretofore unaware of. Yes, perhaps. So. All right. Let's move on from that. 
All right. In other news, uh, I thought this was an interesting story, which should lead us to uh, to a little bit of a discussion. Uh, Encanto has a song that has uh, made it higher on the Billboard charts than Let It Go did, which is saying something, considering every single four-year-old girl for the last five years uh, obsessively sung that song and constantly was playing on whatever device they were, you know, somehow permitted access to. Um, in particular, I can think of my my two and a half year old niece who just shouts at the Google device, play Frozen, play Frozen. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so uh, the song is We Don't Talk About Bruno from the film Encanto, and it became the highest, uh, the uh, let me say, let me phrase this correctly. The, the soundtrack tune has become the biggest musical hit on the Billboard Hot 100 chart from a Disney animated movie since 1995. And hmm. do you know which one it was in 1995? Uh, let's see, 95. Mm, is it a whole new world? Almost. No. The uh, uh, Hakuna Matata. No. Okay, what is it? <laughs> it was it was uh, Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas. Oh, okay. Reached yeah, number okay. four in nineteen ninety five. I remember which one came out that year. Yeah, because I think The Lion King is actually ninety six. I think The Aladdin Lion King is... was ninety four, and okay. that one, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, hit okay. number one in nineteen ninety three. Oh, wait, okay. no, that was a whole new world hit number one in 1993. And Elton John's Can You Feel the Love Tonight, uh, number four in 1994. Okay. So uh, Let It Go actually reached number five in April of 2014. So in the last 25 years, uh, this is the most popular, uh, according to the Billboard Hot 100 song from hmm. Disney. Which really surprised me. I mean, I know Encanto has done quite well, uh, but I have not I have not heard the barrage of people mm -hmm. singing and and there just seemed like Let It Go just had this visceral effect on everything around it. I just have not gotten that sense from the song yeah. from Encanto. What about you? Um, I mean, I've seen the movie, too, and I didn't feel like the music was honestly that impressive mm. compared to some other disney movies and certainly i didn't think it was on the level of um i don't i didn't think uh we don't talk about bruno was on the level of let it go at all um pop, and i'm surprised it's that popular honestly yeah 29 million streams and 8,000 downloads sold is the mm. stats on that i wonder if i wonder if in part i don't know i don't know exactly how the billboard top 100 does its rankings uh, but I wonder with 2014, that was like the beginning of streaming mm -hmm. really being a more popular thing. I wonder if it was, you know, I wonder if they weren't able to fully capture uh, right. the popularity of Let It Go based on streaming. Because, I mean, they're much, much better at getting data off of that now than they were in 2014. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a factor. Yeah, but it was interesting because, I mean, when you think of the annals of Disney history, 
and, and the music and some of the music that has has come out of those movies, the music itself almost has a greater legacy than some of these films do. Uh, so that kind of brings us to what I want to you know, discuss a little bit with you is that uh, how big of a role do you think the music has in the success of the Disney animated movies? Um, is it most, is it, is it a completely integral? Is it the most thing that's driving the success? Is it a little part? What, what do you think? How big of a role is the music in their popularity and success? Uh, I don't think it's the only important thing. I think there's a lot that goes into it because I think that there is a lot of work that's been done on the animation side of things. with mm. A lot of these movies um, that helps make them popular. And I think they do a fantastic job of grounding themselves in whatever world it is they're trying to portray, whether it's uh, the middle East and Aladdin or um, ancient Greece and Hercules or uh the French countryside, Beauty and the Beast, um, obviously the ocean with Little Mermaid. Um, there's so they do such a good job at, I think, putting things into settings, and then I think also marrying the music to the setting that they're in. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw that really well with um, Moana. If you're thinking about a recent movie, with the music that Lin Manuel Miranda put together for that. Um, movie really captured the spirit of what the movie was trying to be about. Um, I do think that music is an important part of the success of the Disney movies because when you hear the songs, you're able to be transported kind of instantaneously to the moments surrounding the songs. Mm -hmm. But I think that the visual side of that is just as important as the music side. And that's from someone who is kind of in love with music <laughs> so i think my my opinion matters on this um but i i don't because i think you need you need the visual element to go along with it so that there's uh an image in your mind of what actually is happening um because when you think of like the a whole new world for instance you're picturing that magic carpet ride or if uh, can you feel the love tonight you're picturing the scenes with uh simba and nala in the jungle um it's just it's all tied together for me yeah part of it for me is i wonder if i mean to me obviously i don't think it's the main thing um i think the story is still what drives it first and foremost is is the story good um uh, is it is a story worth following also i think that the vocal performances from the actors are really really important um how they can pull that off the animation i think however i wonder if this the success and how good the music is uh plays into the long-term impact of the movie uh both from a memory standpoint and the ones you want to come back to most often um i think of you know, when I think of like when I think of Aladdin, I think of the music first and foremost. I think of, um, you know, never had a friend like me and uh, and Robin Williams performance as the genie uh, when they're down there in the cave. <coughs> um, that's the first thing I think of. I think of the music a lot when I think of Lion King, um, whereas like 
I don't when it comes to like Little Mermaid. Hmm. I don't at all. Like, I mean, it wasn't one of my favorites, but I don't think of the music at all when I think of that about that movie. I don't know. I. It's just. I I wonder if it plays a long longer term role. I wonder if the success of Frozen, for instance. Um, the longevity of the run that Frozen has had is in due to the popularity of the music. So I'm wondering if that's part of the factor, the better the music, because we know how music affects the brain differently than images do. Um, you can, uh, you can sing like thousands of songs that you have memorized. And if you take your favorite movie, you'd probably be able to quote, quote maybe if you're lucky, like a third of it. There's just, just the way music operates on your brain. So I'm wondering if it doesn't have a, a, a better long-term impact, uh, the movies that have better music to them. Yeah, I definitely think that there's an argument to be made for that. And it's funny that you mentioned The Little Mermaid because when I think of that, I do think of the music. That's interesting. <laughs> that is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Under the Sea and uh, I Want to Be Where the People Are. Mm-hmm. Um, those two songs in particular or just like drilled into my memory for some reason. Now that, now that you tell me, I remember the under the sea song. I mm-hmm. don't remember the other song. Yeah. 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 It's, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. Which, uh, do you have a favorite in terms of music of the Disney movies that you have seen? And you may have seen a lot more of them recently because you have kids. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen a lot of these. I really, really do like uh, the soundtrack for Moana. I think that's up near the top of the list for me just because I appreciate the musical style Mm -hmm. that um, is in that movie and the creativity involved in it. Yeah. Um, And I I do love the classic ones too, Mm -hmm. like Lion King and um, Little Mermaid, like we talked about. And Frozen... Uh, undoubtedly and Frozen 2 even have really good music Um, I actually thought the music in Frozen 2 might be better than the music in the original okay so that's worth checking out as well Mm -hmm. I think the the Lion King soundtrack I had to like repeat when that came out so (laughs) I'm a little little biased to that one as well Mm -hmm. I would say for me it was always Aladdin I love the Aladdin soundtrack um that was my favorite disney movie growing up it was aladdin so um i think i think between rob and williams and the music it had uh it had a lot to do with that. okay uh well that's an interesting discussion let's uh let's 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 move on to another discussion question and this was something i was i was thinking about recently and uh i thought we'd spend a couple minutes talking about it and this is the idea that whenever this is a particularly prevalent in sci-fi, but you see this in uh, a significant amount of futuristic movies. Almost all of them take place in a dystopian world. Uh, you can think about it from a number of levels, from from like the popular teen uh, teen series based off of novels. You have Hunger Games. You had. Um, uh, divergent some of those to to classics like blade runner um, mad max any of those type of movies almost all of them are in dystopian futures so rob i thought we'd spend a few moments just 
kind of talking about why we think that is. What is what is the appeal of the dystopian future universe? Uh, I think that when you look at the prospect of the future, it's hard not to imagine things being in a state of decay. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that people just resonate with seeing that played out in the future, whether it's catastrophic events or viral outbreak or people just bombing each other into the stone age yeah. or the earth's resources being completely used up seems to be a very yeah, common theme. Yeah. Um, I just think it's easier for people to relate to the idea that things are going to get worse than the hope that they might get better, which is interesting because there used to be a belief like uh, that, that in the age of enlightenment, that, you know, men would just continue to get better and better. Science would get better and better. The technology would get better and better and the world as a whole would get better. And it seems like that is not the natural course of things. And I think people relate to seeing things completely falling apart. And that's why I think that's the main reason why uh, dystopian future in uh, literature and art and movies is so popular. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a fascinating concept. I wonder if in part, I mean, I think there's definitely something about human psychology in here. I mean, there's the whole loss aversion factor where where we feel losses significantly more than we feel comparison gains. Uh, There's the idea that um, you know, the whole news idea of if it bleeds, it leads. The idea that we, our brains seem to be wired to think more towards the negative, to focus more on the negative side, to think more about the negative, even if it's not actually um, the way things actually are. <coughs> but Uh, So I think there's part of it is human psychology that we seem to resonate more with bad news than we do about good news. Um, I also wonder if there's an artistic element to it as well. Um, In some ways, you have more story angles if everything is bad. If everything is bad, you have a greater sense of, of the heroes overcoming than if everything is good. Um, You have, you have more places to go. You have a, a different world to create. Um, in some ways, I wonder if it's a lot easier to create storylines out of dystopia than it is about, than it is to create out of um, the excess, which is really interesting. Um, think about like um, what with water world, Let's just let's just pull out Waterworld for another dystopian one. Um, it's easier to sell a premise of a world without, you know, a world completely covered in water where nobody understands land. Oh, now we've got we've got a world. We've got a visual setup. We've got a whole thing than it is to try and say, hey, everything's pretty good here. <laughs> so I wonder if there's not an artistic element to it. Yeah, I think. Uh, in stark contrast to your Waterworld example, it's the same thing, but opposite in the Book of Eli. 
where they are desperate for water Mm -hmm. because there's very little around and literature. Yeah. Um, So I I think there's something to that where it's, we are very short on a specific commodity that is essential for humans to survive. Um, And what do we do with that? And then if you also, it's slightly different, but what if something that is integral to what being human is taken away? Mm -hmm. You think about a movie like Equilibrium, which would be Mm -hmm. like an extreme example of that, but like that art is uh, outlawed basically. Yeah. Because it incites emotion in people and they don't want that because they want people to not have to think about their problems, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because you you kind of have you have the ordered movies. That's that's one of the ones where it's like uh kind of the totalitarian ordered state movies. Uh then you have like the complete catastrophe movies, which you can even throw interstellar into one of those. You know, the earth is dying, we need to find a new home. Um and then you can just then you have like the whole technological chaos the technological overthrow uh with uh, like the matrix is even involved in that where where it's technological stuff blade runner is another example um where it's it's a technological problem uh it's it's really interesting um and i find I find it's it's one of those things where um, getting back to the whole the whole human psychology aspect of it, just that we, you know, is it plays on our fears. I wonder if it plays on our fears similarly to how a horror movie plays. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Idea? Is people go to see horror movies um, to be scared? it plays into their fears. The good ones play into things that you're already kind mm-hmm. of afraid of. I wonder if there's an element of that in the dystopian future movies. But I also think that people go to see it because maybe it reminds them that it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's possible. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think that also lines up kind of with the idea of what make, what might make horror appealing to some people. Mm-hmm. because you go to it and watch it and then you're like well that's not me at least you know that kind of idea mm-hmm. there's uh <clears throat> there's there's also uh it's kind of it's kind of funny because um you wonder if um no i lost my train of thought on that one uh, what i was thinking i was thinking something about the idea of of it seems like it seems like in part uh, they're almost uh, they're almost narrative based in some in some in some cases like like you take even even one that was like uh, Star Trek four let's take this one now Star Trek is actually the reverse kind of thing Star Trek was one of the few sci fi properties that actually went ahead and set it in a much more positive future uh and that was actually intentional with gene roddenberry is like i, I want to do something that's actually intentionally positive uh to represent humanity's progress but even if you look at something like star trek 4 uh there's a dystopian element to it because uh this was in the big 
like right in the middle of the whole big save the whales campaign. And they go over this thing where, where the humpback whales have died out and a probe from outer space comes in to try and save the, try to find out why it lost contact with humpback whales. And, and they have to travel back in the past to get humpback whales and bring them back to the future. But there's, I mean, that was, that was pretty intentional, like, Hey, here's something we want to address. So I think there's also an element to that sometimes is sometimes people are trying to make the case that we need to do something with this as a result. You see this a lot in, um, in like disaster films. Well, I think that the, there's always one thing that I've learned for sure about movies. There's always a message. Yeah. And then when you're making a movie, you're trying to deliver a message and I do agree with you that I think the message a lot of times in the dystopian end of the world movies is change what you're doing now so that we don't get to this yeah. place someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I'll just, you know, we can wrap this one up, but I think it's, I think elements of dystopian uh, worlds make for very, very interesting visuals. Mm. That's another thing that really plays in. I think it's specifically like Mad Max like the visuals that you could create in Mad Max were, were spectacular as a result of that. Or a film like Oblivion uh, has some really, really great dystopian uh, like scenery and cityscapes. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, how many movies has the, uh, has the Empire State Building been knocked over, blown up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or Empire State Building Statue of Liberty is another one where it's just like, hey, here's a cool building. Let's knock it down. So, yeah. Anything else on that one? I think we're pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap up with our watch list. These are movies we've watched over the past week, and we'll give you a little rundown on them. Rob, what'd you watch? So I went and saw two movies in the theater this week, which is the first Ooh. time I've done that in a while. Excellent. Pretty happy about that. Um, I first saw Scream. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I was not surprised that it did well. Uh, it's a legacy horror movie. It carries on the Scream franchise. It is the fifth in the Scream franchise. And uh, I found it very intriguing, fascinating, and actually pretty cool um, how they approach that in the movie itself because it's very self-referential. Hmm. Um, so the Scream movies are based on a movie series within the Scream universe called the Stab series. And so this one kind of talked about how that that relates to what's going on in this movie and um, really plays into the characters' motivations throughout the movie. Um, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette all come back in this movie um, to varying degrees of appearance and actually have a role to play in the movie so they're not just there to be there which i was happy about um i think that it's definitely worth going to see if you're a fan of horror movies um definitely check it out at some point if you don't go see it in the theater um i enjoyed it i think it's a worthy installment in the franchise and i can definitely see it being the kickstarter of another maybe trio of movies or four movies or whatever um, it ends up being. Um, and then I also went and saw Nightmare Alley um, directed by Guillermo del Toro, one of my favorite directors. And 
interestingly enough, I went having read the premise of this movie. It's uh, Carney who hooks up with a psych psychiatrist, and things go a little awry. I was kind of expecting the normal Guillermo del Toro like mystical element to show up somewhere, and it never does. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really just like a character movie, like set in the early 1900s. Um, and I I will have to go ahead and say that I think Bradley Cooper might get nominated uh, for uh, an Oscar for this because I think he was fantastic. Mm. Um, this might be might be the best Bradley Cooper performance I've seen, and that's saying something because he's been pretty good in some other things. Stars Born comes to mind, um, and several others, mm-hmm. but this movie he's fantastic in and the very last scene of the movie is chilling. I'm not going to give away what happens, but the way the movie ends, is just like, wow, it left, left me walking away thinking, wow, that guy can act. <laughs> um, Did you so like I, it? I liked it a lot. Okay. I liked it a lot. Um, obviously I'm biased because I, I, like I said, I love Guillermo del Toro. I like how he does things. Yeah. But this movie really felt like an homage to like uh, 1940s, 50s cinema with some of the style choices and some of the editing choices. Okay. Um, just some of the transitions. There's like some pinhole transitions like that were more common in like the 50s where it, the whole screen fades to black like into the middle and then comes back out for the next scene, stuff like that. Just some very basic choices like that. Um, and I just think the ensemble cast as a whole did really well, and they did a really good job of um, bringing these worlds to life, like the carnival world mm-hmm. to life, and the world of New York City in that time to life as well. Mm. Um, and Willem Dafoe, as he does, just like stole every scene he was in, unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, and Kate Blanchett was really good as a villain too so i definitely recommend seeing the movie if you especially um if you're into drama uh this was a well-executed drama in my opinion and told a good story and had moments of intensity and is just written well so nightmare alley i recommend okay yeah um, so I watched two movies. I did not get to theater this week. Um, the first one I watched was 1998's The Mask of Zorro, starring Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, and, uh, of course, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, I remember liking this movie when it, back when it came out um, and seeing it in the, the late 90s. Um, so, but it's been a long, long time since I've seen it. Uh, so it was interesting to go back to it now and, you know, watching it with fresh eyes from a different perspective. I'm like, okay, this definitely had some of the, the late nineties movie characteristics to it. Uh, it was a long drawn out intro to this movie. Uh, you don't really get down to the main action sequences for the first, I want to say maybe hour of the movie you're just waiting for what's going to happen to happen. You've got like a little bit of action right at the beginning. Then there's the long exposition. Uh, so I thought pacing was a little bit of an issue with this movie. 
another thing, there's a fine line uh, between callbacks to other cinema or other similar type stories and just flat out ripping them off. <laughs> and I think there was a little bit of, uh, I would say this crossed the line a little bit towards ripping them off. And hopefully I can remember both of them, like, cause I'm blanking out on the second one, but one of them, there is a straight up count of Monte Cristo moment in this. Um, if familiar with the story of Monte Cristo, uh, basically the one guy dies. And so, uh, the other character then switches out with the dead body so that, uh, he can escape from prison that way. Uh, basically they throw out a living body thinking they're throwing out a dead body. So there's, there's that exact same scenario in the mask of Zorro. Uh, and there's another one and I cannot, uh, it's blanking out. There's another one where it was basically just pulled out like five minutes later, pulled out another scene, which is something straight out of a different film. Um, so I found that I was like, okay, I wonder, I think there's a little bit of lack of creativity here. Um, some of the sword fighting scenes are fun and interesting. Uh, there was, there's not, it's with the time frame. there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of big time stunts in this movie, which, uh, kind of surprised me, but it's a lot of, there's a lot of sword play, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but there's one moment I think where the sword play just kind of breaks down a little bit. Uh, so it was not as good as I remembered, uh, uh it being as it were and that happens when when films age some of them age better than others uh so that was the mask of zorro uh another one i saw which i'm not quite done with but uh is Macbeth. uh this was the film uh from apple tv plus uh that came out it was in theaters for a little bit uh around christmas uh if you happen to be at a, uh, the right theater and then it came on Apple TV Plus on the streaming service on, on January 14th. So I got into that one. And uh, this, is, this is a really interesting rendition. It's done by Joel Cohen. Uh, so you have, you have the, the, you know, the Cohen brothers antics involved. Denzel Washington plays Macbeth. You have Francis McDormand in this. Um, and it's done by A24 Studios. And I got to tell you, it was a really fascinating matchup between Denzel, uh, Joe Cohen, and A24 Studios. Uh, I think A24 Studios has the, has the upper hand in the look and the feel and, and everything about this movie. I don't know that I've, I've seen a studio have, have this kind of impact on their films Uh in this type of way where you know what studio the film is coming from uh, just by what you're seeing and what you're watching uh, probably since the early two thousands Lionsgate films, uh, which is really, it's really fascinating. The, the look and feel of it just reminds me so much of the green Knight uh, in terms of the starkness. Uh, now the film is in black and white. And it's done in 4-3, which seems to be coming back. I'm not, not entirely sure why 4-3 is coming back uh, to the degree it is, but uh, this one's back. 
uh, but it's very, very stark whites and grays. It's a very, very white and gray film. There's a lot of very white backgrounds, very gray. Um, of course, it uses the the classic Shakespearean dialogue, and it's it's a really, really interesting rendition. If you're at all into Shakespeare, it's absolutely worth checking out. All right. Well, that is the show. Uh, we are done. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Film for Fans. If you like the show, rate, subscribe, tell your friends about it, and visit filmforfans.com. I am uh, hopefully going to be working on a new a new piece for filmforfans.com where I'm going to be tracing uh, different thematic elements through 90s action movies. So I'm finally going to get around to actually writing that piece. Uh, nice. So hopefully uh, that will be up on filmforfans.com shortly. So check that out. And uh, until next time, enjoy the movies.